And so we have a special guest with us this morning. If you're a newcomer, you're in for a special treat. Uh, his name is Josh McDonald, and he's here with his whole family. Landry McDonald is his wife's name. They have two precious kiddos, uh, age seven and five, Nehemiah and Emea. And Emea just had her fifth birthday yesterday, actually. So it's a big weekend for the McDonald's. I just love this family. We met him back in April, kind of by happenstance. There was another speaker that was supposed to come for the International House of Prayer. He couldn't make it. So they're like, Josh, you want to go down to Austin? And Josh had even spoken before through a dream that, that Austin was going to be on his radar. And, uh, but from the first minute I met Josh, you know, those people in your life that you just feel comfortable around, or you just agree with, you agree with them fully. Um, you can't really explain it, but you just know that something special is on them from God and you agree with them. And that's what Josh has been for me, even just to haven't hung out that much, but I just know his heart. And every, every time he shares wisdom from the Lord, I say, that's truth. That's truth. This guy's got the Holy Spirit. Paul said, he said, I think I have the Holy Spirit of God. I, was like, I think Josh has the Holy Spirit of God. And so we're in for a treat. Whatever's on his heart this morning, uh, let's just pray for him before he gets up here. And before that, just to let you know what he's been up to for the last 10 years, he's been a part of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, where they've been praying day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over 20 years. They haven't stopped because the Lord is still worthy uh, of every second of every day. And he will be worthy of every second of every day. And they believe that and they've taken that seriously. So for the last 10 years, Josh McDonald and his family, have been serving the International House of Prayer in many different capacities. And he was uh, just sharing recently how he was honored to be invited into the inner circle with some of the, team, some of the head leaders there, including Mike Bickle. And so you're hearing from a man who's, who's been given the wisdom of Mike Bickle, who's a leader of that organization there over the last 10 years. And it's just a real treat. And just a little snapshot of his week, he might share it, but the International House of Prayer, you're, you're, you're a full-time prayer missionary. So like your full-time occupation is to sit before the Lord in the prayer room, receive insight from him and pray it back to him. And so it's a real position. God is raising up real people. His full-time job is to worship him and to pray before him. It's a wild thing that that would be your full-time job, but it is, and God's providing for him and he's providing for their family every step of the way. So let's give it up for Josh McDonald. Let's just pray for him before he comes on up here. Lord, I thank you so much just for friends. I thank you for the family of God that is, is just beautiful, Lord. And I thank you for this little slice of the family of God here with the McDonald's, here to bless this family, Lord. Would you have your way in this room right now over these next minutes in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well... I'm happy to be with, is this on? Yeah, we're good. I'm stoked to be with you guys this morning. Um, it's a new relationship. I'm getting to know so many people in the room and Kyle and Brooke and Glenn and Suzanne and just so many of you in the room. So I'm honored to be here. It really is true. My wife had a dream back in April, randomly, that was connected to tons of stuff, but but Dallas, Texas, kept, or I mean, uh, Austin, Texas, popped up in the dream. And we were in a real divine, just couple weeks of prophetic activity anyway. So when you're in the, you know, you know what I'm talking about when the Lord's talking to you, it's like everything's prophetic, every color, every license plate. <laughs> and we were in one of those moments. And so she has this dream. And then literally two days later, uh, one of the leaders of our university at IHOP just came up to me and said, hey, 
if will you can we fly you out to Austin to go be with the team that's going to be out there? And I'm like, my wife just had a dream about this. Well, in anyways, and so here I am, and little did I know I was going to make lifelong friends. And so this is exciting. Well, I'm going to jump right in. Um, yes, as Kyle says, my wife Landry, we've been married. It'll be nine years next February. Nehemiah and Amaya are off doing kids stuff. Um, and it was Amaya's birthday yesterday. She turned five, and um, Nehemiah turns eight at the end of this year. So we're it's been crazy ride. We have been missionaries to this nation for the last 10 years, doing all kinds of different things. Seems like every couple of years, we have a little, a little change in our assignment. But the, the thing that never changes is we're called to for real be a part of these communities around the world that are raising up prayer rooms. And supposedly, it, 20 years ago, and, and I don't want to say that IHOP is the only one responsible for the prayer movement. It traces back to the 1800s with, anyways. But in this present time, 20 years ago, there were less than 100 um, continual praying house of prayers. Not necessarily 24-7, but just communities that were, their primary function was this. Now there's over 20,000. In 20 years, uh, if you guys know or have ever heard of IHOP, if you haven't, check it out. But my pastor, my mentor, my spiritual father, all the above is a guy named Mike Bickle. And in 1983, Mike Bickle had an encounter with the Lord. He fasted 40 days water because he said, Lord, I have to have my heart wrecked for the poor of the earth. And he was asking the question, how do, we, how do we actually take on the poor of the earth, Lord? And so he fasted 40 days water, went to Cairo, Egypt, got in a taxi and said, drop me off in the worst place of town with no plan. On, on a 40-day water fast. And, and it was in 1983, and, and he was in a crappy, nasty hotel in Cairo, Egypt, and he has, an, he has one of the most life-changing encounters of his life. Jesus comes to him in the hotel room, speaks to him audibly, and says, I'm gonna change the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. And that word ended up becoming a part of this global prayer worship movement thing. And uh, here we are, man, in 2020. Coming up on 2020, we went from about a hundred ministries that prayed more than two hours a week to now there's 20,000 and supposedly 5,000 plus of them are 24 seven around the whole world. So it's pretty uh, remarkable what the Lord is doing. So I just wanna read something over you guys. Um, I'm just gonna take 20 minutes this morning to pour my heart on you guys of what is burning inside of me and what we're doing in Kansas City uh, with small groups of people to really create communities that have a vibrant heart for the Lord and are living lifestyles that attract his activity in their lives. Let me reword that. Living lifestyles that position themselves to receive what is already available. Because what can happen is, is we, we as humans usually have a very performance-driven mind. And so if we're not careful, we will do all the disciplines of the Lord's for his smile. But the problem is, is that it doesn't work that way. He's actually always smiling. He's sitting next to you. He lives inside of you. But, but the thing is, is we can live lifestyles that are either allowing us to receive and feel and experience what's available, or just by our own kind of poor decisions and things that we allow in, it causes our ears to get foggy and our eyes to not see clearly. Does that make sense? It's so, so it's not a matter of like, if you don't do well this week, God like goes to the next town and he's like, when, you're, when you do well next week, like let me know and I'll come back. Like it, it's actually, we live a lifestyle that just causes it hard for us. It's kind of like fitness, okay? We all have a six pack, Every single one of you, God made our body to have these six abdominal muscles. But Popeyes and Chick-fil-A and McDonald's just quenches 
what you can really see. <laughs> and I'm on a journey right now. I'm trying to, so I'm with, I'm in it, you know. Does that make sense? So it says, it's not a matter of if you have a six pack, it's just the lifestyle you're living is covering it up at the moment. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I was sitting there reading. So we're going to talk about living a life that creates capacity, right? Every, what is capacity? Capacity is the maximum amount that something can contain. That's what capacity is in a natural sense. So this room has a capacity, right, of how many people it can sit. And I believe that every single one of us in this room are on a journey to grow and expand that level of capacity to feel, experience, receive everything that God says is available. Amen. But I was rocked this morning because of John 17, actually. And I was, I mean, really, really overwhelmed this morning. And I, and I just like got up super early this morning. I was just checking, my, checking out my notes and praying. But then all of a sudden during worship, I'm reading John 17. And I'm just gonna read all of John 17 really fast to set the tone for this is the Jesus's heart for you, okay? This is a real intense time for Jesus. Chapter 18, it's betrayal time. And Jesus knows it. It is, his, it is his appointed time to drink the cup of the Father's wrath. That's intense, right? And he just gets done giving the disciples kind of the last speech, and then they watch him go from this, this, this preach mode to all of a sudden he's talking to God. Can you imagine a front row seat of God talking to God? <laughs> Blow your stinking mind. God is talking to God. Now, they're still, they're not quite there yet because they're all about to deny him, you know, here pretty quickly. So they're, they know, but they don't know. It hasn't hit them yet. But how many of you guys know that we know kind of how to pray and we kind of have our language we use, but then when life hits the fan, you have a real prayer. Not saying your prayers, not saying your prayers aren't real when you're not in a trial, but how many of you know, right? Think of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. That's when the realest prayer came out of you. That's when you got honest with God. So we're seeing Jesus right now in John 17 at the rawest place of his heart because he knows the hour has come. Different chapters say he was sweating blood. One chapter highlights that he actually asked the father to consider passing the cup on. Like, whoa, Jesus is over here like, oh man, this is for real. And we know, we know he was very human because we know it says that he's been tempted at every measure. So he's feeling the weight of what a human would feel when you're about to go hit death row and get crucified, okay? So this is the rawest place that we can find Jesus talking to the Father, and here's what he says. We see, a, we see him aching that the people that he just gave his entire last three years to would get it and would become one with him just as you and I are one. Okay, listen to this. When Jesus had spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Can you imagine the disciples? Okay, they just, he just gave them the speech and then now he looks up and starts talking to God and they're just like watching, you know? What's he about to say? Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have, and have come to know in that truth, or in, that, in, in truth, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Okay, real quick, let's just stop right here. Imagine if Jesus Christ, <laughs> let's put River in the Hills Church right now in this moment. Imagine if now, this, I'm not being heretical, I promise. Imagine if I was Jesus right now, and I just gave you the final speech, and in about an hour, I'm about to be betrayed. And I'm talking to you, to the Father, and I'm pleading with the Father at my darkest moment for you. And this is, my, and this is his greatest desire for you. Let's go back to this now. We're in verse, we're in verse nine. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word and the word has hated, or sorry, I've given them, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. In, in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I create, I, or I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who, you, who will believe in me through their word. You guys are a part of that story. That they may be all, they may all be one just as you. Father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, now, now just skip a couple words. We're going to go into, here we go. We're almost done. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Here we go. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundations of the world. I'll skip the last two verses. Do you see what, how Jesus is crying out for his people, the, the amount of passion, yet sobriety and urgency, begging the Father, saying, Lord, I gave my whole life to them. And this is what matters the most. Father, that I don't, I'm not asking you to make them disappear from this hard world. I'm asking, Lord, that they would be one with me, that they would be able to behold my glory. This, guys, 
this cry from Jesus's heart is his greatest passion for you. The greatest passion for you. And his greatest desire for your life is that you would position yourself to live a life that is so closely connected, that is so closely walking with him step by step, that you would be able to experience and feel everything that is available. Is this making sense? Jesus is up in heaven right now as a priest, continually making intercession for you, reminding the father of John 17, reminding him of that moment. And guys, I promise you, promise you, promise you, promise you that if this becomes your daily goal, that so many of life circumstances, I promise you, will disappear. Maybe not actually, but the anxiety and the worry that they produce. I, I swear, because what happens is, is in America, we don't really, we can't really identify with suffering. We can't really identify with the stuff that other people have to identify with. And so what happens is, is the American dream gets mixed in to our pursuit of the Lord. And so then we get obsessed about what we're called to do. Does this make sense? And we get obsessed about our jobs. We get obsessed about, and I'm not saying these aren't real things. My wife and I have real drama. <laughs> like, like we have real needs that sometimes feel overbearing. And, I ha- and, and sometimes it takes me two, three weeks to get out of a funk. Anxiety to where you can't eat for two weeks. Believe me, I'm not coming to you as a guy who doesn't struggle. I had the worst case of anxiety I've ever had in my entire life uh, about a month and a half ago. A week, I, I, didn't, I almost didn't eat for a week. I was speaking, speaking at a church and I almost threw up right before I spoke because I, because I was, not because I was scared to speak, but because I had something else going on in my life that I could not get free from. But after about a week and a half, I just kept doing what you do, doing what you do, doing what you do, quoting the scripture, looking up, and it finally did lift because I just, I don't know, it just did because I just, just pressed through. But the Father's heart for you guys is that you would get caught up in a love affair with him. And all through the scriptures, we see this kind of language coming out. So at IHOP, we, we, we pray this prayer all the time. It's at Ephesians chapter one, okay? We pray it all the time. And Paul is praying for the church of Ephesus, but so often we literally change it and we don't realize we're changing it. And I've actually had to like go back and make sure that the Bible says something different. You know, because I'm like, wait a second, how do we change this? And I'm gonna say what it is. In Ephesians chapter one, I believe it's 17 through 21, Paul prays and he says, Father, give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Okay, we got it, we got it. Where are we at here? In the knowledge of him. Okay, look at this that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints. And so, so often I hear people get up on our microphone at IHOP and they say, and they, here's what they say. They say that, that we would know the hope of our calling. That's what they say. <laughs> and actually Paul's saying, no, 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 like, you have to pray that you have your spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand his calling. Is this making sense? I'm getting somewhere here. Hold on, just bear with me for a second. <laughs> because 
What we have to do is we have to begin to sometimes get, there's a time and a place to pray for stuff. I do. Every day, I have real needs in my life that I pray for almost daily. I ask the Lord for breakthrough in these areas. But if my life of prayer and intimacy is mainly wrapped up in a list, first of all, you'll get to that list in about three minutes. So then what? I mean, I mean, I mean in three minutes, you can like ask for a hundred things at least. I mean, right? I mean, think about how many things you can say and ask for in three minutes. Then what? See, we got to move beyond the list. And what we have to do is we have to actually take the time to sit down. And I'm actually going to get practical about time here in a second. We have to take the time to sit down, actually open up this book and begin to actually see Jesus for who he is. Now, I pray that we do have encounters with him. I pray that we do have life-changing visitations where the Lord does come to us. And if that happens, amen. But even in one encounter, we have this whole book full of so much truth. And then what happens is, is your prayer life actually becomes a, a thing that happens because of the book. So you're not just trying to figure out, I know I'm supposed to pray, so I'm gonna get up and I'm just gonna start talking. But instead you can actually see like this morning, I spent 30 minutes talking to Jesus out of John 17 because now my prayer life was, oh my gosh, I'm like looking at this going, I cannot believe. And I'm like, Lord, let me just for a second, like feel that level of burning passion for your disciples. That's intense. And see, now that's my prayer life. My prayer life is actually rooted in here. And so then when I read Ephesians 1 or whatever, that becomes my prayers. And then what happens is, is you start getting in this perpetual cycle where your prayers are actually kind of perfect because they're perfectly in the will of the Father found in the Bible. And then if you can't do that, then you do, then you do Romans 8 and you pray in the Spirit. Because praying in the Spirit says that it's the perfect prayer, praying from the Spirit, and, and speaks the will and mysteries of God. That's why I got a group of guys and girls that three times a week, we just sit in a room and pray in the Spirit together for a half hour. I can't think of a better way to bring unity to just all pray in the Spirit together. Because <laughs> we're all, we're, we don't know what we're saying to each other, but we leave, we leave, we leave feeling good. <laughs> no, for real. <laughs> and, so, and so, guys, these are the practical things where, I'm so serious, like, I believe that the Lord's greatest desire, we are called to do things on the earth, for sure, not, not negating that, missionaries, lay hands on the sick, do, do the stuff, but the stuff gets easier when you find yourself connected at this realm. And now, now I'm gonna get super practical with you, okay? All through scriptures, we have these commands of, you know, Think about these things. Don't think about these things. Do these things. Don't do those things. Because what happens is, is when, and, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna probably ruffle a little bit of feathers, but that's okay, but I'm just gonna be practical. The movies, the music, the things that we spend our time entertaining pollute our soul. And then what happens is, is we actually ourselves, not the devil, he does do some intense stuff, but actually a lot of our own warfare is our own actions that produce a swirl of chaos that we actually invited. There are times and seasons when the enemy totally comes in and rocks your world and you're like, this came out of nowhere. I've had it happen more than once to the point that I was in an intensive care unit, sick and dying. I mean, I've had crazy stuff where the enemy clearly touched me, but I've found that if I, sometimes my own struggles, if I trace it back about 
five days, I go, oh, this is my own thing here. <laughs> like, and then the enemy comes in though and he latches on you when you're already weak. That's how he plays. He doesn't play fair. So we can actually get rid of so much of what we think is warfare by actually just changing some small like lifestyle patterns. And so, and I want to go, I want to go a little bit deeper than like the obvious. Like if you're a Christian, you probably shouldn't watch horror movies. Like where people are literally like serial killers and are like, like, like chopping each other's heads off and stuff. Like like this is probably like, it's probably not godly. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it, like, those are just the obvious ones, right? Like, and, hey, and if you're in the room and you really love horror movies and it's a wrestle for you, like, hey, no, then go for it. Like, we all have our struggles. But what I'm saying is, is, like, I can be assured that, like, the tender, compassionate lamb, like, you're going to have a hard time getting in there when you're, like, watching horror movies, you know? Or, like, porn, okay? Let's just get real here. Like, those are the obvious ones that we need to fight and resist. But what we don't think about is, like, think about this one. In the Psalms, it says, um, it says, who may ascend to the, wait, which one is it? I got four different Psalms going through my head right now. I've got 23, I've got one, I've got 91. Um, <laughs> but it says, um, oh yeah, so it says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, okay? I think it's Psalm 23. 24? Ah, sorry, 24. 23 is that he leaves me beside still waters. Okay, that's right. Psalm 24, who may ascend, okay, to the hill of the Lord, yeah, there it is. Okay. <laughs> who may ascend to the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? Okay. So who may live a life? So I'm, let's just make it super practical. Who may live a lifestyle of being seated with Christ? Who may live a lifestyle of, you know, experiencing the Lord? Who may live a lifestyle of being with him and actually being able to see his perspective beyond life? Right. Okay. He who has clean hands. So what does that mean? Your hands are not being evil. You're not manipulating finances. You're not, whatever, stabbing people. (laughs) Whatever, whatever you do with your hands, okay? Who has a pure heart, okay? You're guarding to fight to keep your heart clean. But let's look at this one. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol? Now, hold on a sec. An ESV, it makes idol more practical to today. It says, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehoods? to anything that's false. Ooh. Because, you know, I, I don't worship another God. You know, it's like, eh, eh, when we dismiss that one. So I love, I actually recently started reading ESV, and I'm, I, I, like, I like New King James better, but yeah, look at, see? Who has not lifted up his soul to what is false. So that's a whole different game. False is any narrative at all that's not the Lord's. That just about disqualifies every TV show that we watch. Okay, I'm not trying to be religious, but I'm, I'm painting a bigger point here, okay? You can, well, well, football's not about the Lord. Listen, don't, don't get religious. You get what I'm saying. When we live this lifestyle, <laughs> no, but do, do you guys hear what I'm saying? No, you really have to search your hearts on this one. Because if you're constantly, like if you're addicted to like the, 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 next, the next Netflix series, the next show, and every Monday it is like the commitment of your life, and you live that way, like all the time, and you continually wash yourself with, with ideologies, with narratives, with messages that are not the truths of the Bible. And I'm not even saying, it might be a show that has no swear words, no nudity, like, you know, the, the, the religious checklist, right? But what's the narrative of the show? Like, I can't figure out women that watch The Bachelorette. 
No, like you want to like pollute your heart towards true love. Watch 12 women all fall in love with a guy, and then it's a guy who actually likes, I mean, how dysfunctional. Is there a girl in the room that wants to pursue a guy who has 12 others that he's going on dates with? No, but no, okay, I know we're laughing, but like, my point is, is like, these are the kind of things that like, we allow in day in and day out, and then we wonder why we're like having a hard time, like hearing the Lord. Or wondering why we're having a hard time even just getting up for 30 minutes to just spend time with him, to read your Bible. Well, it's because there's narratives and there's things that we're constantly sowing into ourselves that make our eyes hard to see, make our ears hard to hear, and then make our hearts hard to receive. Does that make sense? And this is the stuff that like you would think even at IHOP, right? We have, the, we have like the, the idea that we're like these ultra holy, crazy saints. But like I lead a thing called the mentorship group. Okay, I help lead a thing called the mentorship group. And we're trying to get our students to understand these realities. And I'm talking about kids that are in a prayer room six hours a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like, just because you're in a room six hours a day, like what are the choices you're making outside of here? Because you can check the box, read your Bible, do all the stuff, but your heart is, you're still having a hard time hearing. Well, what's, I can't hear the Lord, I can't, whatever. These are the kind of things, guys, that I believe like where the rubber really meets the road. Is this making sense? Really quick, turn over to Philippians 4 and I'm about to close out right now. And, and by the way, outside here on the table, outside of the door, I have uh, two pages, I think it is, front and back, and there's four or five pages where I kind of just have some bullet point like thoughts about what I'm saying with a ton of scriptures. There's probably 10, 15 scriptures that you guys can go back on if you're like having a hard time or you're just whatever, you're, you were provoked by my message today and you were like, ah, I would love to hear that one again. You can go and grab those notes and it'll help you. But Philippians 4, verses 8, says, finally, and I'm going to read from ESV. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see that? So these are the kind of things that God wants us to dwell upon. And, and then what happens is, is, has anyone in the room ever just like had a good quiet time with the Lord? And then that quiet time provoked, like you ever just got up? Because here's the deal. I would assume that 99.999% of you in this room work from eight to five or something along that window. A good, good majority of you in the room work that kind of schedule. So the question is, when do you have time to be with the Lord? Because here's, 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 the, here's the thing that can get you caught in a trap. Well, the Lord knows he sees my busy schedule, so I kind of talk to him throughout the day. Now, we all should be living that lifestyle, but if you don't have a set aside, like, because if, if anyone's in the room and you're married and that's the way that you handle your marriage... Does it work? Anyone, come on, who can testify? I just casually, like, I do what I do, and, like, I talk to my wife throughout the day when I can. No, you have to set aside date nights. You have to set aside, and so it's the same thing with the Lord. And so I would assume for most of you, it's gonna mean you gotta go to bed about an hour earlier than you normally do and get up about an hour earlier than you normally do. That's how practical it is. And I promise you, you set that alarm for 6 a.m. or whatever it is, and you fight to say, I'm not pressing snooze. Because here's the thing, after, after today, I have a feeling a few of you will be motivated. But motivation is only gonna last about four or five days. 
No, seriously. And then from there, you have to believe it and it becomes a discipline. I hate working out. I've been doing it for literally 10 years and I hate it. But the discipline of it gets me up. It it makes me not hit snooze on the alarm. And the same thing goes with my life at IHOP. I would say 80% of my days that I show up at the prayer room are totally boring. I literally cannot stay focused. I pray for 30 seconds and I'm thinking about something else. And then I'm out in the, you know, and I've got, because life has so many demanding things. But, but for 10 years now, that's the discipline that gets me out of bed in the morning. And so I want to just encourage you guys with this to just figure out what this looks like for you. So, so practical number one, you're going to have to find a time. And then, yes, you should go throughout the day. Because what I was saying was, has anyone ever done the discipline at the time? And then you end up having a really good morning with the Lord. Or, or what I mean by that is not like an angel came or like you like got rocked and cried for, for five hours. But like you just read something and we were like, wow, that's amazing. Never seen that before. And then it, it got in you deep enough to where like for the next four hours, you were thinking about that. You know, so now your drive to work became you. I'm just not going to turn the radio on this morning because I'm like, can't stop thinking about that scripture. See, and then this is the lifestyle that starts creating capacity because when you are truly fascinated with the Lord, like some of the things that like take precedence will for sure disappear. Okay, so step number one, I challenge you to find a time to meet with the Lord. And then from the overflow of that time, yes, talk to the Lord all day long, ask him questions, have dialogue with him. Find the time. Number two, I want, and this is is where I'm gonna end right here. I have literally four minutes. I'm gonna end right here. This is where I wanna end. Find a time with the Lord. And in that time, you're gonna do a lot of checklists. You're gonna read your Bible in that time. You're gonna talk to the Lord in that time. So we don't have to talk about read your Bible. We don't talk about praying because those all get factored in to that time that you find with him. And I encourage you, unless if you're really tender, to actually get up and go right to this. I encourage you to do that over, close your eyes and just try to see if you receive something. Because because that lifestyle, you can receive all kinds of things and not have any clue what this thing says. So I encourage you to start here. Get up, and the first thing you do, when I get in the prayer room, I sit down, and the first thing I do is I open up my Bible, and we just see where we go. Number two, I wanna encourage you to consider trying to fast on some sort of regular basis. And most of you, if you've never fasted in here, that's fine, try one meal. But I encourage you to do it somewhat regularly, because here's why. I believe that when I say fasting, there's a very, 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 very minute group of people out there that think that fasting is not from the Lord. Everybody, the fasting one got down the line, you know? That one made it 2019 years. Everyone thinks we should fast, but I don't meet very many people who actually fast. I meet a lot of believers that do the annual church-wide 21 day, which you should if your pastor ever calls one. But the problem is, is the annual 21 day is really good community rallying moment and you always should participate in those when they're there, but they rarely translate into the why though, the real why. Because usually when we do a 21 day fast, there's like, there's usually an objective, like we're believing for something. Like right now we're doing a 21 day Daniel fast at IHOP leading up to our 20 year anniversary, believing for the promises of IHOP to unfold, whatever, right? But in Matthew, don't even pull it up because it's on my stuff. It's on the notes if you wanna grab it because we're just gonna fly through this. Matthew chapter nine, in my opinion, gives us the clearest insight on why because fasting, in my opinion, is one of the biggest subjects that everybody knows, but it's the least subject talked about in the Bible. We literally, the Bible does not talk about fasting hardly at all. 
We have stories of people that fasted, but we don't have any good teaching on fasting. Like literally in the Bible, like there's nothing except for Matthew chapter nine. And here's what Jesus says. John, like Glenn can contest this. He's been doing this longer than I have. There is no teaching in the Bible on fasting except for Matthew chapter nine. If, if, if you can, please, I'm on, the, I'm on the tape. If I'm wrong, I will repent publicly. I don't know. I do not know of anywhere else in the Bible. I, there's stories of people that they fasted, but we don't get the, a real why behind the what. In Matthew chapter nine, this is where we get it, but you have to look at it long enough and you have to pray through it long enough to start saying, oh, I get it. John's disciples come to Jesus and they ask him a question. They say, why do the Pharisees and us, why do we fast, but you guys don't? That's, a, that's an intense question. <laughs> like, they're like, why do you guys not fast? Like fasting is what John told us we're supposed to do. Like we're in the wilderness fasting with this guy eating bugs and you come and you're drinking wine and eating meat. What's the deal here? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And Jesus says something so profound to them. He says, why would the friends of the bridegroom mourn when the bridegroom is with them? What does that mean? But there's a day coming when the friends of the bridegroom will mourn because I'm gonna be taken away, then they're gonna fast. What the heck does that mean? Here's what I believe. I believe it means a few things. I believe it has an eschatology wrapped up into it. I actually do believe it has to do with mourning for him to actually come back and make things right. I think there's eschatology wrapped up into it, but I think there's a practical dynamic wrapped into it as well. Jesus is saying, I'm here with them right now. There's one time in human history that humans got to experience Jesus in a tangible, converse, like fleshly way. His 12, imagine every fear you've ever had every anxiety, every unanswered prayer, every question, everything that you ever have right now. Think about all those things. There was a time in history where there was a group of 12 that could sit down at dinner with him and unload on him. And then he would give him the answer and he would completely settle their soul because it was the perfect answer. No, imagine that. There was, there was a literal time where his 12 got to do that. But he's saying that day is gonna be gone. And I can imagine what happened when Jesus actually left for good. I'm talking about after he raised from the dead. I'm talking about after that. When he actually disappeared, he breathed on him, gave him instructions, go to the upper room. But we have a history of realizing the disciples didn't quite pick things up right away. So I don't think like when Jesus disappeared, it was like onward soldiers, they probably were like, whoa, he's probably gonna show back up. He, you know, Jesus is gonna do a sneaky thing. You'll, you watch, he's gonna come walking out in the water. But imagine a week goes by, two weeks goes by, four weeks goes by, and they're going, and I can imagine that a real pain hit their heart. I just miss this guy. I can imagine the tears around the fire. We miss him. I wish I could just ask him this question right now. We miss him. And then the dots connect, oh, we now have to know how to connect to this guy by spirit. Oh, that's what he meant, that we would have a mourn in our heart when he was gone. Oh, this is why he gave us Holy Spirit. We now have to connect to God by spirit. So I believe that is the key reason that will sustain a lifestyle of fasting is it positions you to receive by spirit. Amen. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> so... I just hope I just sparked a little something in you. And I know that the human brain can only really hear about five minutes of what everybody says. So every one of you got a different five minutes just now. But we wanna just carve out a little space, okay? To just see what the Lord might do in the room today. 
he wants to draw real near to us. Well, well, he is drawing real near to us, but he wants us to experience it. And for some of you, the movie thing got you. You're like, oh yeah, that one got me. Or the music thing got you. Or the whatever, you know, for all of you, there was something different. And you're like, man, this is awesome. And this isn't like, I, I, I wanna be careful to not like always preach a message that like, means that then it's like, because I feel like sometimes what we do in church is like, there's this like, it's, we're always looking for the, like, like, if you need this today, come forward. So there's probably a lot of people in this room that really are like burning. Like there's probably people in this room that are like, dude, I'm doing it and amen. But I just wanna create an atmosphere in a moment right now as we've heard the, Jesus's heart in John 17, as we've heard Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, that this thing is about us knowing him. And sometimes knowing him means you just feel something for real. You just feel his presence. Some of you in the room, you might feel like legitimate conviction right now. That's Holy Spirit. Some of you may need the Lord to really heal your body right now. Whatever it might be, let's just take this moment and let's just all stand. And, and Glenn, Kyle, Suzanne, I wanna, I'm going to be done here in two seconds. I just want to turn the service over and whatever we feel like the Lord, we want to give space. This is something we talked about at dinner the other night, just really wanting to create space for the Lord to move today. And, and obviously people are free to go if you've got to go and no one needs to stay longer than they need to. No one feel con- condemned in that way at all. But we just want to have a moment right now to see what the Lord would do. And, and the Lord knows each and every one of you and exactly what you need. I have a few <clears throat> impressions for uh, what's called word of knowledge for some physical conditions, and uh, we're just, we're going to invite the Lord to to <clears throat> uh, move in a tangible way uh, in touching uh, bodies potentially, well, specifically in areas of healing. Um, but on top, before I do, I just want to just kind of ring ring the bell like a dinner bell at a farm, you know, I want to ring the bell and say how blessed and how thankful we are, I am, and we are uh, to have you and Landry here because people can talk a theory and, and it's not even a fault of them if they haven't had the, the experience, but you're living it. You've said yes to something that I heard in my spirit clarion call 12 years ago you've been there 10 (laughs) we've said yes to these these global winds that that god is doing and speaking to the church and so thank you for coming and releasing uh, not just a a theory but experience let's honor them thank you what a treasure i just ring the bell going what a treasure that's someone who's there in the morning. And, and when I was in Israel, I'd turn on the prayer room and seven, eight hours ahead, and there, there's the prayer room, you know, going live. Uh, around the world, people connecting. And so we're just agreeing, as Rachel said earlier, we're not trying to talk God into something. We're just going give to give some moments for the Lord to, to agree with Him. And I'm, I'm glad we're just kind of playing low like this. Just you're very, uh, very much. Just let's invite, invite the, the Lord in this. If uh, I had some words, and if anyone else has any words, 
memory impressions. Just come on up and stand up here and give those. Um, I had the impression of an eye infection, specifically the left eye, uh, irritation or eye infection. And I had the impression of the Lord wanting kind of washing it away, like a, a washing out the eye, eye irritation, infection. Um, swollen glands, swollen glands in the upper, the part where you swallow up in your, your neck. <clears throat> On both sides. Uh, someone with a pain in the, like a bruised tailbone bruised tailbone and just pain on the backside, the, the muscles in the back there. Right knee, I had someone with an impression of someone with a, the tendon, I think it's oh, the ligament, I guess is what you call it, that comes across the top of the kneecap, uh, strain or pull or uh, some sort of weakness on that, the right knee. I mean, aren't there ones on top too? Or they're just medial? I don't know, something. And then, um, then the word stirrups, stirrups. I know that's an ear thing. Someone with the Lord wants to heal, touch. Uh, stirrup is a part of an ear, right? Ear part. So I think it is. Yeah, the Lord wants to heal, wants to do that. Does anyone else? Uh, so, so just the knee, glands, eyes, uh, ears. Bruised tailbone, backside. If that's any anyone, um, I just invite you to come up. I'm not going to belabor, and like I said, we'll we'll dismiss officially here in a moment, so we're not going to keep you keep you in that. But uh, but we want to we want to give enough opportunity for uh, the the Holy Spirit to to just come and and uh, have His way in that. And I'd like uh, some of our prayers uh, uh, that uh, I know. Brooke has had a bit of success. Uh, oh, you're coming for, for healing. Okay. Um, right knee? Right knee? That that pain right there? Something like that? Okay. Okay. ACL, they use a third of your patellar tendon. Okay. I sound like a doctor now. I had no idea what I just said. Uh, so come on up. Uh, just come on up. And um, uh, Darby, if you could come up. Uh, our prayer, anyone that's, uh, anyone who may feel heat in your hands, you may feel a stirring or you may have had success uh, before and you just have a, you just have confidence today. Um, so yeah, just come on, come right up. And uh, some of our prayer, prayer people, uh, Suzanne, if you could come and get, kind of face them. Um, who, anyone else have a word have a word of knowledge or any kind of uh, prophetic uh, meaning an impression of any any other any kind of healing? As Josh shared, Lord, I, I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Particularly right now in the knowledge of you as healer. In the knowledge of what you desire. So Lord, we're not 
begging you or cajoling you or trying to bend your ear to what we want. Lord, we are agreeing right now with what you want. You're the great healer.